Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is, believe it or not, some actually good news. Last Friday was the first Friday of the month, which can only mean one thing. What does that mean, Mike? It means a new jobs report. That's what it means. Now, if you're wondering why Friday, it's because releasing the numbers before the weekend gives the financial markets a chance to sort of take in the news before everyone goes off kind of half-cocked. Not that financial markets would ever do that. But anyway, on to the report. Now, you certainly wouldn't know it from hearing the Republican presidential candidates talk, but the labor market has actually been looking pretty solid for a while now. Um 215,000 jobs were created in March, and over the last four months, the labor force has increased by nearly 2 million, making it the best sustained quarter of job growth in over 15 years. It's also been the best two-year period of job growth since 1998-99. And it's not just jobs. Wage growth is also good in this latest report, just over 3%, which is actually higher than the rate of inflation, currently around 1%. Now, the unemployment rate did actually go up a tiny bit from 49 to 5%, but strangely, that's actually more good news because the reason for the uptick is that more people who'd previously given up on trying to find a job and therefore were not being counted anymore in the main unemployment numbers are actually getting back into the labor market. So there you go. Some good news, Jay. It's kind of nice for a change, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I would say that what impresses me most, and I guess impresses is maybe a difficult word to use, but um, is the fact that that there is more, the labor participation rate has showed a change. Right. Uh, and to me, that's always been the the key problem uh, of, of this, you know, recovery for the last eight years is not even so much the unemployment rate, it's the labor participation rate where people are just out of it altogether. Um, so, no, I, I think that's that's good. Um, I think it's it's a uh, the the Fed will will keep on its uh, steady as she goes uh, sort of um, uh, policy and uh, um, no I mean I, I guess it's it's I mean I, I'm I'm not one of those people who's going to necessarily look for a a uh, dark dark cloud right in this, um, sure you know in a good story but um. I, I think that's that's good news. A lot of it also, as I understand, was there were were changes that folks uh, fewer temp workers mm-hmm. uh, and, and more uh, full time. So I, I I think that's look. It's good news is good news. Now again, it's it's one month we're talking about, um, and there's always the uh, situation where sometimes you have a good month and a couple months later you revise the numbers down and say, well, sure. okay, we're looking back. Um, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, the other the other uh, uh, factor that I think it's good people are coming back into the uh, labor market, uh, and at the same time, there's there's some funny stuff going on overseas. Uh, China has been um, having more and more difficulties. So I think you know your point about one month 
being not not necessarily being uh, something we should hang a lot of hope on. I think it's absolutely right, and that's why I think the longer term trends are so encouraging. And and uh, it's not that there isn't some you know, bad news. A lot of this depends on the sector you're in. Like, for instance, manufacturing was one of the few weak spots. So one of the few weak sectors, it lost 29,000 jobs last month. And a lot of those jobs, we've talked about this a little bit before, a lot of those jobs just won't be coming back. It's not necessarily even though that those jobs are going overseas. It's that in product productivity games when th you can, you know, make something with, uh, you know, with uh, fewer workers, obviously you're going to do that. And so those jobs are, are not coming back. I don't think most of them, but in a lot of other sectors are definitely growing. Uh, healthcare, leisure, hospitality, retailing, not surprising in any of those sectors. But what I think really was surprising, construction, uh, added more than 30,000 jobs. And that's certainly a, a really good sign. So there's just a lot of good stuff here. I think for me, the key thing is we've seen, we've seen a lot of good figures before, but what we haven't seen until fairly recently is the uh, upsurge in wage growth. And that is really encouraging to me because if wages are going up, I think that's a really, that's a really good, a really positive sign. And, and God knows that certainly for a lot of workers, that's been a huge problem is uh, just not, not seeing any real gains, even though the overall economy might have been doing better. So I'm really encouraged by that. Well, the, the wage growth, uh, I think that is um, significant because this is the first we've we've seen of that in a, in a long time. Um, and it, it maybe it is just a matter of it's taken this long uh, to, to start to catch up. I would say on the construction numbers, uh, that's something that can be influenced by some outside factors like the really mild winter we've had. Sure. Good point. Um, and I, w I would say there, there might be some, uh, for example, construction jobs that are, are getting moved front loaded into March that might not have been there earlier. But, but look, an increase is an increase and, and I, I, we shouldn't look askance at it. Um, uh, also to the manufacturing point, um, I'm one of these things. This is one of those things where I probably know just enough to be dangerous. But uh, my sense is, with a lot of manufacturing, that would be tend to be sort of a lagging uh, indicator that that those jobs would would come back later uh, than other jobs, uh, just because there a lot of times there's more investment that has to be put in uh, right. up front if you're going to expand a line, if you're going to you know be building new capacity, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so, so that the manufacturing still might, might improve, uh, you know, and it's, again, we're talking different kinds of manufacturing, uh, improve at different rates based on the economy, but, um, no, it's, it, it's good news. Uh, I think a lot of the credit is being given to Janet Yellen. Um, and, uh, I, I think, uh, that that's probably rightfully so. I mean, look, the feds probably doing the, the right thing. Uh, again, there will come a day, um, when we will have to have actual real interest rates coming back. Uh, but uh, today is not that day. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think that they're still looking at that inflation rate, which at around 1% is a little lower than they'd actually like to see. They'd ideally like to see it around 2% or so. Now, if the inflation rate starts to creep up above that, then I think we're going to see more action from the Fed. But from right now, I think we're in a really kind of nice place. And one other person who's really happy about this, aside from, aside from us, is almost certainly Hillary Clinton, because historically, good economic times tend to help the, uh, the incumbent party, certainly. And uh, Hillary, this is good news for Hillary Clinton. It, I, I guess it would even be good news for Bernie Sanders. 
Sanders if he were the the nominee? Well, I don't think it, I don't think it's a good news for Bernie Sanders because the the you know so much of the Sanders proposition is that you're getting screwed by the man. Um, and, and if uh, wage growth yeah. is up, yeah, I think you're right. It's almost certainly a better uh, a better story for Hillary Clinton than it is for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and but you know Bernie Sanders actually uh, speaking of, he had a really great le- a really great week last week. Uh, he totally trounced Hillary Clinton in caucuses in Alaska. He got 82% in Alaska. He got 73% in Washington state and he got 70% in Hawaii. I mean, so we're talking an average total of 75% there, which on the surface would make Bernie fans, I would think, really, really excited. But Due to the Democratic Party's delegate rules, and you know these aren't really big states, he only picked up 55 delegates, and Clinton picked up 20, and so that's not going to be nearly enough for him to overtake her because right now she's at 1712. He's got just over a thousand delegates, and most of the remaining states are both larger and friendlier to Clinton. So, well, I, I think the the states are the, the that's the big issue. These these are three states that are sort of outliers, both geographically and demographically. Yeah, um, and uh, it, it's it's sort of natural Bernie kind of country. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you will. And he's better. Why I suppose is a little surprising, and that, and that maybe that's just because I don't. I don't have a good handle on what really goes on in Hawaii, um, but uh, my sense is Alaska and, and uh, Washington both have sort of a uh, rugged individuality, sort of uh, uh, hippie-ish uh, sort of thing going on sure. uh, that that uh, would appeal more to the Sanders crowd than uh, than the more democratic urban party machine uh, place, which which is Hillary's strength. So. Yeah. So yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um, the other, he also part- had that that bird come and land like like Snow White uh, sort of thing. The the animals of the forest, yes, uh, even coming to to visit Bernie. Um, well, the other part uh, of it is that so no, it was a good week for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other part of it is that these are caucuses, and caucuses reward enthusiasm. And there's no question that Bernie's supporters are a lot more enthusiastic than than Hillary's supporters. And so, but unfortunately for for Sanders, is there aren't that many caucuses uh, left. He's pretty much run out of places where he's likely to do really well. And, and you know, the next the next big one, uh, the next big contest actually is Wisconsin uh, this coming week, and he has a pretty good chance of taking uh, at least a little bite out of Clinton's lead. Right now, it looks like it's almost a toss-up. Maybe Sanders has a little bit of an advantage. And, you know, Wisconsin is, is, is a big deal. There are 97 delegates up for grabs. And But the thing is, is unlike the Democrats, or, or sorry, unlike the Republicans, the Democrats believe in always giving prizes for second place. And so, you know, <laughs> I, and what that means, right, is if he doesn't win huge, Hillary Clinton still picks up you know, close to half of the delegates, that's probably what's going to happen. And that really doesn't do him much good at all. And this is where right. everybody gets a trophy. That's, exactly. That's I, I knew you'd like problem, that. Jay. Right? I thought that's I thought I'd throw that in there. But yeah, I mean, that's a huge problem for, you know, for, for Bernie Sanders. And of course, the Democrats are, you know, we've talked about the delegate rules before that kind of boring thing that, you know, no one really talks about, but makes a huge difference in terms of how, how you run a campaign and the candidate you get. You know, we're seeing that in the Republicans versus the Democrats. We'll get to the Republicans in a minute. But as as we've said before, the Republican Party almost certainly wishes they had fewer winner-take-all contests uh, uh, right about now. So, 
Well, I, and I'd also say Wisconsin has got sort of like a lot of the upper Midwest. Uh, Minnesota's like this too. That there's there's sort of a funny progressive streak that runs runs through it. Absolutely. Um, uh, fighting Bob LaFollette from uh, yeah. I believe was from Wisconsin, um, and and so there's something there that I, I think will appeal to uh, to Sanders. Uh, base Sanders voters um, or, or, or vice versa. Sanders will appeal to a lot of people there. Um, so I, I, I think Sanders will do well in Wisconsin uh, and I think he could even win it. But uh, again, I think you're right. Just the, the fix is in and has been in for, yeah, for some time. Absolutely. But you know who else is from Wisconsin, Jay? Oh, uh, let people, me think. Obviously. Uh, uh, Scott? Joe McCarthy. Well, Joe I was, McCarthy. I was going to say Scott Walker. Remember, yeah, do you remember yes. Scott Walker? He was, my gosh, he was a presidential candidate. In fact, he was a front runner. He was the uh, he he, he looked, was who, who the the Wall Street Journal described as the most elected governor of the two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know now it's he seems to be almost uh, essentially a non entity. Uh, how the how the mighty have fallen, and given his given his union busting activity, I am I couldn't be happier about that. But anyway. Um, well, no, I, I wouldn't. We can talk about this in a minute. No, I think he still has a good deal of influence in Wisconsin, as as seen by uh, his endorse. He endorsed Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz is doing really uh, rather well, surprisingly well, I think, in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Whereas I, I would have, I would have expected uh, Kasich to have done better in Wisconsin. Again, just sort of because of the, the midwestern sort of vibe, it would it seemed to be a, a place where Kasich would have the, the same sort of appeal as he does in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan. But um, the uh, the margin of difference between Cruz and Kasich is almost, uh, you know, corresponding to the, the uh, popularity of Scott Walker. So I think you can say, um, you know, he's, he's no longer the, the national uh, presidential figure, but he is making a difference uh, for Cruz mm. and making a difference against Trump. Uh, in Wisconsin, so I, I'm not sure how much of that, how much of Cruz's surge I would attribute to that, but I, you know, I think it's not an unreasonable argument. And as you pointed out, you know, in Wisconsin right now, Cruz has really been surging. Right now, he leads Trump by uh, up to ten points in the latest polls, and it, I, it, it seems to me pretty, pretty likely that Cruz is going to take the state, and that is a winner-take-all state with 42 yep. Republican delegates. And so Cruz is likely to end up with all of those. And this is really important because right now, previous to previous to now, in the past, in other words, Trump has been, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I have the best words, Jay. I want to point that out. Um, anyway, Trump we is- We this is sort of early in the morning. We're still not really up to the, the new daylight savings thing. That, yes, still, let's, yeah. let's go with that. But- you know, previous to this, Trump has been slightly overperforming what he needed to get to the 1,237 delegates that you need to, to be the Republican nominee. But right now, he's slightly under that. So he's at like around 95% of, of the total that he needs from this point on. And so essentially what that means is unless he can find a way to stop making, well, you know, thoughtless comments that alienate voters or – if he can somehow convince those handful of uncommitted Republican delegates to vote for him on the first ballot, he might not actually be the Republican nominee. And so he's looking a little less inevitable than he was a few weeks ago. And part of that, part of that is because he really, he had a bad week this week. I mean, he, he did have a bad week, you know, not only, 
first off, his his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, was charged with battery. And normally, when your campaign manager is charged with battery, you you sort of are you, you take a step back, you take a breath, you maybe distance yourself, but. But no, I mean, instead of distancing himself from this clearly guilty guy, I mean, the video shows him grabbing this reporter. He basically, you know, questioned the honesty of this reporter. And and then as if as if Trump isn't doing enough to push away women voters, then in an interview, he said that there has to be some form of punishment for women who have abortions. Now, this is this is an amazing comment to me because it had the well not not just an interview it was a a town hall a CNN right. town hall with Chris yeah Chris man and well the thing that amazes me about this is it it simultaneously angered both the pro and the anti-abortion camps I mean that's a real coup I, this it's impressive stuff now he later walked that statement back which is pretty rare for Trump. But his negatives with women are already sky high, and this this certainly just doesn't do him any good. It was just an awful week for Donald Trump, and this is the kind of thing that I think everyone expected from the beginning, with his kind of you know shoot from the hip sort of thing, and it's coming back. It's coming back to haunt him, uh, and so I think this is a this is a real concern because there are some Republicans who think you know he's. He's a fatally flawed candidate, but he might have built up just enough momentum to kind of just sneak into the nomination and then destroy the party's chances in November. Yeah, no, here's some some things that, that the weird coincidence of, of his bad week in Wisconsin coming up may make a, a, a big difference because politics aren't, you know, it's not a static situation where uh, you know, it's it's any any given Sunday. Uh, you know, any, any given Tuesday, someone can win. It it is an always moving um, uh, sort of field, and momentum matters. Oh yeah, uh, and, and I think that's Trump has had this momentum, uh, even with those you know bumps that that Kasich threw in on Ohio. Uh, you know, Cruz picking up a couple states, uh, on and you know, but. It's it's been this momentum, and the momentum feeds a narrative, and the narrative being that of, of inevitability. Um, what I think matters, and, and and I'm not the first person to say this, but if he happens if he happens to lose uh, Wisconsin, which I think he will, uh, the narrative changes a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, and and this is it's one of these. It's sort of like a. Um, you know, you're probably familiar with uh, uh, Immanuel Kant's uh, critique of pure reason. Oh, who isn't? Uh, Come on, yeah, right. Because um, this is the kind of stuff we talk about off the air. But um, no, I mean, there's there's sometimes. Uh, look, do we any do we know that there's really any such thing as causality? Right. Uh, probably not. Just one thing happens, and then another thing happens, and we sort of make the connection. And I think that's what can happen with with Wisconsin. Uh, Trump has a very bad week. Then he loses Wisconsin, and people will say, "Hey, you know what? This does matter. Uh, Trump's mistakes uh, do affect his his performance." Yeah, yeah. And, and and you uh, know, I think that's a great point, Jay, because especially if you think about how much Trump harps on the polls. I mean, if you follow his Twitter feed, which I, for some bizarre reason, I still don't understand, did for a few weeks uh, back back a month or so ago. It's it's all about polls. And all of a sudden now, those polls are turning. I mean, his whole image is built on having this momentum and being this winner and so forth. And now you start looking at the well, polls. Exactly. No, if the idea is I'm the winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, and, and you you start to to not be a winner, that, that changes the, the perception of yourself. Yeah, um, 
Absolutely. And, you know, which, it, which, oh, and, a weird, and a weird thing, I'm just going to throw this in because this is one of these weird observations. Most conservatives, uh, in many ways, deep inside, don't feel like winners. Um, <laughs> no, and, and I mean this. I mean this in a the whole base of, of, of conservatism uh, is there is it's sort of a uh, a sense of elegy of, of looking back of that you're, you're sort of the the last uh, um, you know holding on to the the last world uh, you know it's sort of the sure. standing athwart uh, the world yelling stop exactly yes. no that's that's exactly the line I was going to go go for was standing athwart history uh, yelling stop uh, that that uh, conservatives you know deep in their heart a lot of them view things in this sort of this. Uh, twilight struggle and, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket and, sure. and sooner or later it will. Uh, but, but darn it, we're going to do our best yeah. <laughs> you know, to, 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 to slow it down. Yeah, off. absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and I think it's, it's, um, you know, again, that's, that's sort of traditional conservative. It's a happy philosophy. And, yeah. You know, uh, but, but no, it, it also allows a sort of, um, uh, dignity, a sort of uh, look. I'm going to stand up for this principle, even though it may not be popular. Even though uh, we may lose, I'm I'm uh, I'm building my identity around a principle, yeah. uh, around a set of beliefs. Whereas Trump has built his identity around I'm winning. Yes. Uh, and and once that is yanked out from under you, yeah, um, it, it works until it, it, it works until it, you're not winning anymore. Yeah, I think that that's the exactly. point. You know, and then that whole kind of uh, uh, I'm winning or momentum sort of thing. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, when you start taking a look at the general election matchups, which a lot more people are, you know, you start to see the trend now. Trump versus Clinton, all of a sudden those trend lines, now Clinton's looking better and better and Trump worse and worse. And that's something that John Kasich has really been jumping on, you know, with both feet saying, hey, take a look at these general election matchups. Now that the Democrats pretty much know that Hillary's going to be their nominee, these general election matchups start to matter a little bit more. And who, who's going to win against Hillary? It's not going to be Donald Trump. We know that. And by the way, he's going to lose you the Senate. It's not going to be Ted Cruz. It won't be as much of a disaster, but it's going to be. So who's going to win? It's only going to be me. And it's pretty clear that that's going to be his pitch to the delegates in Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. That's That's been his pitch for some time. Yeah. And it's it's not a, it's not a bad argument. No. I mean, really – uh, in an ideal world, that that ought to be sort of the biggest argument uh, that that you one would bring into any sort of convention or any sort of nominating process is uh, yeah. I'm the guy who can win. Do I you mean, want to win the general like, election? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean we ought we ought to view primaries not as as elections contests in in and of themselves. It's their tryouts. Yeah. Uh, you know who who's going to be who's going to be your starting quarterback? Um, and and if viewed in that way, it's it's you certainly. Sure. Uh, and should it be subject to a fan vote, or should the you know the coaching staff get to say, well, this is the guy who's going to win us the game? I, yeah, I, I, well, and it's also it, you can look at, and we use a lot of sports metaphors here, but we do keep keep adding one. It, it, it's look at you know how does this person perform in off season games or preseason games, which you know are, are again different, weird kind of contest compared to an actual real season game. Yeah, as opposed to look, how is this guy going to actually play? Uh, in in the uh, the regular season, yeah, absolutely, um, and and I I think that John Kasich is absolutely right. I don't I think he's the only I think he's the only Republican who is going to have a reasonable chance of beating Hillary Clinton, and so you know I, that's why I, I kind of hope that he doesn't end up as a nominee because I I as much as I dislike uh, Hillary Clinton for various reasons, I uh, I would prefer her to any of the Republican nominees. So, 
I, and I would I would just say though that uh, Paul Ryan bears watching. You think, um, huh? I mean, again, he's he's made some noises that he's not interested. Um, but that's sort of the thing you sort of say when, when maybe you are interested. I think it would be um, nice if he were the nominee. If, if he could, I'm ask. just looking. If, if you're looking, if it comes down to a, because um, because the establishment uh, certainly will move heaven and earth to stop a Trump nomination. Gosh, yeah. Um, establishment's not so crazy about Cruz either. Nope, they hate him. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, if if it's if it's not. You know, a, a big push for Kasich. It's not a big push for Cruz, and it, it maybe there is. Is there someone else out there that could be drafted in? Well, you know, um, I, I think it's impressive. That and, and if you if you start, you know, thinking names, I mean, Paul Ryan is probably on the short sure. list. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, you know, it, it's it's impressive to me that if in when in Cruz and Trump, you're talking about people who are narcissistic, even by the standards of modern American politics, you know, uh, and self-involved and and me firsters more than any uh, any two figures I can I can think of. And so, yeah, I I think Paul. No, Ryan, I'd, I'd add Hillary in there too, but go uh, ahead. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, anyway, uh, we might differ a little. I I have my issues with her, but that isn't necessarily one of them. But but yeah, so you know. I, Maybe Ryan. I don't know. It would be interesting if Ryan's a nominee. I think he should. He should ask Mitt Romney to be his uh, to be his vice presidential <laughs> nominee. That would be a nice little. They could recycle the signs, you know. All that would be, right, be kind of right. nice. Anyway, anyway. Um, so you know, let's let's move on to a non-presidential election story, if you're what okay with that. On? Some big news this week out of the Supreme Court, where the justices deadlocked four to four in a major case involving labor unions. The tie vote gives public sector unions what I think is a well-deserved and much-needed win, as it means a lower court ruling which favored union interest was not overturned. Now, when the case was argued, well, what's a well-deserved win? Well, we'll, we'll get the, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I, I editorialize a little bit, okay? But now, when the case was argued before the court back in January, Justice Scalia was pretty clearly not going to vote for the unions, and it was a near certainty that this would have been a five-to-four reversal of the lower court decision had Justice Scalia lived. And the case itself, I guess I should explain, involves the alleged right of public employees and unions to opt out of paying any fees to the union, but still to receive the wages and benefits negotiated by the union. And workers challenge... In other words, to get to get paid for the job that you do. In other words, to get something to for nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, the workers that were challenging the union fee argued essentially that forcing them to pay anything violated their First Amendment rights. And this was a rationale that the lower court rejected, as did the Supreme Court in the 1977 case of Abood versus Detroit Board of Education. And so the thinking was pretty clearly that when Justice Scalia was on the court, they were going to overturn this precedent. They were going to set a new precedent here, and this obviously didn't happen. And so I say it's a win. You say, how do I say it's a win or a much-deserved win? No, no, no. I, I'm not. No, I absolutely agree it's a win. I, I My question was was with well-deserved. Well, I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, okay, fair that enough. That seems to fly in the face of you know, we don't we don't base Supreme Court decisions on who deserves it. Uh, we we base them on the Constitution, on on uh, on the law, and that uh, well, you're kind of given given the you're giving away the game there, right? Well, there I when think you say it's a well deserved win. That well, this I is, I think you're making an assumption here. I meant well deserved in the sense they deserve to win because they had the they had the better case. Oh, all right. You're, you're not going to buy you're, that, okay? Yeah, anyway, you're back on there. I think it was the Freudian slip that. 
uh, well-deserved in the sense of uh, this is the result that uh, we'd like to see. But um, uh, I, I, I've no, I, look, look, a, a, uh, I would, I would absolutely agree with you. It's, it's a win. It's, um, you know, uh, it, you know, eight, eight, and, and it doesn't, doesn't change. Now uh, there will be other challenges. There will be um, other uh, state, uh, pieces of legislation that will will address these sort of things, right to work laws and so forth. So this isn't going away. I'd say it's going to go away for probably a couple of years, at least at the Supreme Court level. Right, and we should explain uh, and, that uh, the fact that the justices uh, tied on this basically means that the lower court ruling is is undisturbed, but that only applies to that circuit. And so, which is the ninth, the ninth circuit, the ninth circuit, uh, right out in California and West Coast. There, so it's not the kind of win that labor unions would get. If say a Merrick Garland were the were the ninth justice, because then this ruling would apply nationwide, because it would it would right. probably there is still a circuit split, and there can still be more circuit splits. Exactly. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I'd, although I'd have to take a look to see it, at how many circuits have, have ruled on this. Um, uh, so yeah, you can get sort of a, a patchwork of uh, it being uh, the law being different in different areas of the country, which is which is generally something to be avoided yes. in federal law. That's the idea of having a Supreme Court is that you uh, settle these circuit splits. Um, but, you know, so so the question will come back up again, um, not in the immediate future, but but it will that some sometime down the road. But uh, for so, the time being, yes, Scalia's absence is uh, is being keenly felt. So, do you do you agree with the ruling itself? Oh no! <laughs> um, I thought I I'd ask. You know, I mean, I would have been I would have been on the side of uh, 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 on the the, the the side that Scalia most likely would have been on, uh, and that is that uh, you ought not to be forced to pay for uh, speech that that you disagree with that you essentially find abhorrent. Uh, um, and, and that's, that's what we've got here. Yeah. Uh, there's sort of a, a pretense that, um, you know, you, you're, what you're paying for is, um, your collective bargaining assistance and so forth. But aren't you? But in reality, uh, what happens is there are a lot of these, these unions, um, they, they, it's put out propaganda. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily election communication, um, but it is uh, lobbying. It is it is uh, uh, political advocacy that you may or may not disagree with, and and I think it's a core principle that you ought not to be, uh, by virtue of your job, required to fund uh, political advocacy that uh, that you disagree with. And you know what, Jay? I agree with you. In fact, that's exactly what the court said in Naboo. They made a distinction between two kinds of uh, forced payments. And the first kind was exactly what you're talking about, forcing people to pay for a union's political activities. And the court said that violates the First Amendment rights. And but those, they those also, in Naboo, they're talking about direct political contributions. Right, right. They also, though, said that requiring non-members to pay for collective bargaining efforts, if they are taking advantage of those efforts, that actually is constitutionally okay. It prevents freeloading. It also ensures labor peace. And I think the court got it right, Naboo. I don't think there's any need to overturn that precedent. But then, it ensures labor peace. Again, that's just uh yeah, well, you know, um, I understand no, I, I, you I, I, want to destroy I, 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 unions, but that's is obviously you and Scott we're Walker. talking about not direct political contribution. Sure. But we are still talking about uh, advocacy um, uh, for for a political position, whether it's not um, – and, and again, this is, this is a, a, a weird thing where um, 
uh, so many folks on the left are uh, so exercised over Citizens United. Uh, when you have this kind of a situation, which it's it's you're requiring someone to to put money into folks to to make what are essentially independent expenditures. But they're not. Uh, I mean, I disagree with you entirely about that. I think that's why there's that distinction. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I also would point out that if you take a look at union money in election, labor money in elections and business money, business money absolutely just destroys labor money because because over the past 30, 40 years – labor money unions, flies under the radar. Labor no, money flies under the radar through these these sort of exceptions no. where you say, oh, it's it's communication to our members. Yeah. It's, it's communication to our members it's membership building uh and if you were to say that you you would have to make the same argument for the nra and say no it's just communication to our members we're not telling people how to vote uh we're just implying that uh representative so-and-so is a soft commie on uh, on gun control uh and and take it as it is uh, but i i think that's that's it comes down to less uh what's being what's being done with this money i suppose is is the fundamental issue that we're disagreeing on and i i think it's it is uh indirect advocacy uh for for positions and i think that's just as uh, uh just as much a problem under the constitution as a direct campaign and, contribution and do you see a fairness issue here given that essentially that these i mean does the free rider issue give you any sort of cause for concern that these people are basically getting the benefits that they you know paid no part in in helping to to secure i mean is that is that a is that a fairness issue for you or as a republican are you not really concerned with fairness <laughs> was that a loaded question not, yes I'm i think not, it was exactly. of course i'm not concerned with fairness. um you know i i, I would say uh there's there's probably a, a better way to go about this okay um but allowing them to to opt out and um you know, again, especially when you're talking about public unions, uh, is there a fairness issue? Uh, is there also a fairness issue that you're having the, the the government pay government workers who will then take part of their salaries uh, to fund more lobbying, to give more power to the government workers to continue to, to raise raise your taxes? Uh, I mean, I think there's there's a public policy issue there when you're talking about uh, a public union uh, making uh, taking. Required contributions. Yeah, um, but but those are those are I don't know those well, are those are bigger issues, and we'll have to wait for Scalia's successor. Yeah, um, uh, to straighten this well, out. Well, you know, I think I think this brings out a really important point: is that when I when I hear these people on both the left and the right screaming about how this is so glaringly obvious, either way, I think you know our our discussion just brings out the fact that there's a lot involved here and that it's not necessarily that simple and a lot of this stuff exists in kind of a, a gray zone where you can make a reasonable argument. I mean, for all my kidding about your, you know, hating fairness and so forth, e- either way. And and that's something that just drives me crazy about so much of the rhetoric on both the left and the right is that they fail to uh, acknowledge any of the nuance and complexity of what's really going on and you know and i i appreciate the fact that you're able to 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 look at the left side and not just dismiss it out of hand at least after you know a few jokes here and there you know i'd like to think that you know, i try to do the same thing well and this is something uh, we we talked to our, our, our viewers asked a couple weeks ago what we like what we listen to and, and something that i think is really fantastic just the the age that we live in is you can get all the supreme court arguments on audio just with a click of the button. That is, yep. And and I would encourage people, if you're really into this, to, to go and listen to some of them because 
it's it's really good stuff. And no matter no matter what side you're on, uh, and and I think you would typically come away. And we talked about this, I think, with the healthcare uh, decision, with the gay marriage decision. Um, but go listen to the arguments uh, because you'll you'll feel better about your you'll feel better about your country. Uh, regardless, and, and you'll say, wow, there is there is more going on here than just a this is one uh, policy uh, uh, yeah. outcome that I like versus a policy outcome that I don't like. Yeah, I mean, the very fact the cases get to this point generally means that they're not simple, easy, kind of mechanical, just, you know, apply the Constitution and boom, you automatically get the cookie cutter solution, you know? And so uh, I, I absolutely agree with you on that, Jay. So we, we get to, we get to end this week on a high positive kind of note, which is always a nice thing, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I guess know, so. Everyone, every once in a while, just for just for variety's sake. But uh, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week and where you can join in, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a dollar or two, the price of a Nylabone Healthy Edibles roast beef flavored dog treat bone would really help. And you'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. Now, normally, this is where I say the politics guys will be back next Sunday. What we actually won't, we're taking a one-week break. We record our shows on the weekends, and next weekend, I'll be away in Chicago for a political science conference. But we will be back with a new episode on Sunday, April 17th. We hope you'll join I, us. I would just, and I would just note the irony of, of a, you're, you're making the pitch for money and then saying – we're taking the week we're off. We're taking the that's, week off. Yeah, again, exactly. Again, that's the typical uh, liberal sort of – Well, uh, you know, if we uh, had – I'm going on a taxpayer-funded junket uh, to Chicago. But. Well, you know, if, if we had if we had more money for better remote capabilities or something, there you see, it's, it's all – it all links you could, together. You could broadcast live from the political science. Exactly. Convention. So there you go. See, anyway. But anyway. But, yeah, so in, in lieu of that, in lieu of an episode being up next, I, I would encourage listeners to go listen to the Supreme Court or something. Yeah. Uh, or you can download one of our, our uh, Politics Guys classics. That's right. Uh, we have a lot of – Great so. previous episodes, absolutely. So, but until I'm sure it'll be enough to keep you occupied until we are back on Sunday, April seventeenth. <laughs>